Welcome to Almost Productive, a podcast mostly about marketing. I'm Sean. I'm Julie. I'm Addie. And I'm Ben. And we are all marketing professionals at New Boston Creative Group in Manhattan, Kansas. Greetings and welcome to the All Things Holiday episode. Or perhaps the quite a few things holiday episode. I don't want to overpromise here. I love the holidays. I am a grown elf woman and I still get my picture taken with Santa. Do I wear festive Christmas outfits with accessories? Yes. Yes, I do. Head to toe. But the holidays also stress me out as I try to figure out gifts, logistics, food, and the million other details. So I hate them a teensy bit too. Love them? Hate them? Wherever you fall on the spectrum, you can't deny they're in our face. So join us as we unwrap the good, bad, and ugly of the holidays. But first, a word from our sponsors. From new hires to seasoned employees, your HR team has a lot to manage. Letting someone go is one of the hardest aspects of working in human resources. But with employee farms, that stress can be a thing of the past. Hey, Ben. Do you have a minute? At Employee Farms, we accept all types of employees, from redundant to inefficient. No need to fire them. Simply bring them to our free-range pasture where they can roam the fields, dial into our presentation petting zoo, or nestle into one of our soothing stables, which are appointed with keyboards, computers, break rooms, and fridges fully stocked with other people's lunches. Uh, are you firing me? No, buddy. We're just going for a ride. I know a really great place where you can run and play. Really? Yeah, you're gonna love it, bud. You want what's best for your employees, but even more, you want what's best for your company. Now, you don't have to choose between the two. Employee farms can provide a welcoming atmosphere for your unwanted workers, whether you're a small business owner or a large corporation. Employee farms, human resources, humanely. Great sponsor, great sponsor today, everyone. For our office shenanigans, we actually have a remote whiteboard today. So we often have a question of the week that is posed in our uh, Manhattan, Kansas office. And today the question is courtesy of a remote worker. So would you rather experience a Christmas in 1700 or 2100? I won't lie. When I read this question this morning for preparation for the podcast, I thought... I only have one answer for this, and I cannot imagine anyone picking the other answer. So I will say Christmas in 2100, because I think about time travel a lot, probably more than I should, and I'm scared of diseases from other times. And I feel like viruses and whatnot would have evolved by the time that we're in 2100, but the medical care will also have evolved. In 1700, I'm going to die. I'm going to die as soon as I get there, and it probably won't be fun because they don't have showers or air conditioning. I only thought there was one answer to this as well. And I didn't even know it ahead of time. I just heard her say this question and my mind immediately went, yeah, 2100, 
um, for some of the same reasons, like 1700, the bathroom situation alone has to just be a disaster. <laughs> right. Like we've made so many developments just in bathroom technology yeah. that a hundred years from now, it's going to even be even better. But thinking about Christmas specifically, the gift you get in 1700 is going to be trash. It might be literal trash. You might get a rock or a can that you're kicking down the road. 2100, the techno like you're going to get a drone that's its own video game that has lasers or I don't even know. I can't even imagine how awesome the gift would be in 2100. So that's easy. Okay. Shockingly, I had the opposite approach. I heard this question for the first time and was like, oh, 1700, duh, there's no debate. How could someone say 2100? This is crazy. And my thought process for that is a little more cynical than my usual <laughs> than my <laughs> usual thinking. But we don't know, will the earth still be here in 2100? Will climate change not have killed us all? I don't Whoa. know. I really don't. I hope it's a, it's I hope that we're still here. And to Sean's point, the gift, if knock on wood, the earth is still here. Incredible. 10 out of 10. But 1700 is more of a known entity. Even if there was disease, bathroom technology, not what we would hope <laughs> for. But we know that people were here and the earth is still, in fact, the earth hadn't started warming yet. So maybe it would be better in some ways. Yeah, I was gonna say, I thought I went pretty bleak by going straight to disease, <laughs> but that's a good point too. <laughs> that being said, I think the earth will definitely be around in 2100. Will the quality of life be as good? Will we be having our video game laser drones at that point? Or will the electrical grid be down and it will be a lot like 1700 where we're giving each other cans right. and rocks? Right, it might just flip and it'll be the same and yeah. I won't know where which one I picked. Right. I'll, they'll be like, yeah, this is. And I'll be like, it looks the same as 1700. Yeah. This was a sham question. This is a Dickens novel in America. This is true. And that brings up a good point, which is, what table are we at for this Christmas? Are we dining with kings and queens of the 1700s or are we peasants? We're with the Cratchits. On the road. Yeah, Bob I just assumed his family, peasant yeah. and not royalty. Um, because oh, see, that could, I, that could I change. royalty. Mm, okay. <laughs> this is just like the singer uh, actor question where right. Sean and I are like worst case <laughs> scenario. We might have a side part on a sitcom. You're yeah. like, I'm going for the EGOT. I'm going to have <laughs> dinner with kings and queens. Right. She's in the palace. <laughs> exactly. Being fed just whole ducks I think and Addie chickens. Is. And, I think yeah. that's how it worked for Addie. It'd, it'd be different for me and Sean. <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good, yeah. <laughs> True. True. What about you, Julie? So I was in the same camp as uh, Ben and Sean because I thought 2100, clear choice. And then I said, Julie, no, ask the question. Don't think for those other people. Let them think for themselves. And here Addie surprised us. Yeah. And my only thinking was, okay, we haven't experienced 1700, but we kind of know, you know, what it was about, we don't know about 2100. That's Our true. producer Molly just chimed in and said the outfits would be epic for the 1700s and totally agree. I think as long as there was a time limit, like, you know, you're here for Christmas 24 hours, that sounds like a ball. That would be so much fun. And you could get back to the modern plumbing that you're accustomed to. So if you have undercooked goose, <laughs> you're going to be okay. True. 
Yeah, maybe if you um, you shorten the time period, you're able to get back to present day, so you can take the medications you need to fight all the diseases you got in 1700 that right. were that were terrible. I'll bring penicillin with me. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> is that a laugh? <laughs> Don't mess up the timeline, Ben. I'm allergic to penicillin anyway. It wouldn't help me. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, who's a, who else is a fan of the holidays since this is our holiday episode? I love the holidays. I don't know that I go as all out as you do, Julie, but huge occasion holiday person for sure. Yeah, I enjoy the holidays. I also like them individually. I know we're sort of leaning into Christmas, but I, I like Thanksgiving being a thing and then moving into Christmas. So like, I, I want to give it its due before I move into Christmas and enjoy them both. Yeah. Same. I wait to decorate until the day after Thanksgiving or the weekend after Thanksgiving, because I want Thanksgiving to have its due and I want to enjoy Thanksgiving. Um, so I'm not one of those decorate early because I like to savor each one. Ben? I love the beginning of October through the end of December. So I love Halloween. Halloween's probably my favorite holiday. I also love Thanksgiving and like it to have its due. If we're going to start decorating for Christmas before Thanksgiving, it's slow. It's deliberate. We're putting things out slowly. By the time we get to after Thanksgiving, it's there's still turkeys. There's still cornucopias around. Because uh, I agree. I think Thanksgiving doesn't always get its due. But I, I genuinely love Christmas. That's one of my favorite times of year. Well, let's uh, let's veer things into the marketing adjacent arena, if I may, and talk about when you typically start shopping. When do you finish? Do you wait until the the day before? Uh, do you set a budget, or do you just kind of work on the fly? We usually start shopping around October when the fall season hits. The cold weather comes. That's kind of my like ding 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 in the brain. It's time to start shopping for Christmas. And much to my husband's chagrin, I do not set a budget. <laughs> I kind of just fly by the seat of my pants. And if I see something that I think someone would really like or vice versa, someone tells me something or has told me something previously in the year, I'll kind of keep my eye out for that. And then I usually wrap up, haha, wrap up around the end of November, beginning of December. We often travel a bit during December, so having everything done before then is usually a good call. Yeah, for me, it's become more highly organized as I've gotten older and as my kids have gotten older, where you have to have a system in place to keep track of everybody. So like, I have shared notes with gift ideas that I share with my wife, and there's ones for every person, especially the kids. And you have to do this early enough because I have to divvy those ideas out to grandparents and aunts and uncles. So like, I have to know what all the gifts are going to be so I can give them ideas so they can shop ahead of time. And it usually starts at the beginning of December because my youngest's birthday is in November. So I, well, I have to wait until that gift of giving period is over before I can do the next set of gifts. Um, but then from there, it's like, yeah, full go as quickly as possible to get those lists out, get everything purchased, give everyone enough time to get everything they need or make backup plans in case something is not available. I feel like in my family, it's been slowly like we're weaning ourselves off of giving presents very much at all. Like we still will give a few. And I think I'm similar to Addie where I'll like start in October, but I'm completely the opposite of Addie in which I will be like up to the week before. And that's when the last present will get bought if yeah, but 
even like my fiance and my mom separately had the idea, like, let's do like homemade type gifts this year. Let's do experiences. Like, let's go and do something together and that be the gift. And I've been enjoying that a lot more too. Cause even just visiting my family and then having to like have an extra bag to carry some stuff home feels like a lot. It feels almost like a waste sometimes. So when it's a really nice gift, I'm like, yeah, this is really cool. Um, but I'm also, it's also nice just to spend time with them. It always cracks me up. Like, here's a $50 gift that you may or may not want. And you're going to give me a $50 gift that I may or may not want. <laughs> How about we each just keep our 50 bucks and buy what we want? Um, but no, I, I, it's a hard sell in my family. I'm trying to wean us off of the gift giving, but it's tough. haven't gotten there fully yet. It is tough. It is tough. But I love, I you know, no surprise, I love giving people gifts and I love shopping for gifts and like trying to find what I think they would like. So I also kind of can't let it go myself. Yeah, if there's something I really want, I'd just buy. <laughs> I'm a bad gift recipient. Often the best gifts are gifts that you wouldn't buy for yourself, though. So a thing that you might really want, but you're like, oh, no, I don't need it. That's when you need a gift giver to come in and be like, bam, Julie, the best gift ever. Right. That's that's how I end up doing a lot of my gifts as I've gotten older, because I, I still have to give other people ideas for me. And it's a lot of like, well, I'm not buying this. Uh, will they buy that? And then they do. And you're like, whoa, what? I worked out. <laughs> the best we have a joke in uh in my household for if you get something that you don't really want you go oh i know just where i'll put this <laughs> you don't say where but you know you know where it's gonna go it's no secret that advertising is focused on retail this time of year and people are looking for deals and gift ideas uh, whether for themselves or others, no judgment either way. Um, just to give you a sense of how big this business is, last year retail sales exceeded 936 billion with a B uh, dollars. Just to make sure we're not Canada money or anything. Um, that was a five percent increase over the previous year, and. During that time, uh, Statista estimated that ad spends were $2.5 billion. So on a $2.5 billion investment, $936 billion return for retail. Um, this year, Deloitte is projecting a 4% increase in sales from last year. So uh, even during COVID, like uh, spend has increased pretty much every year in varying amounts um, for the past 20 years or so. So it'll definitely go up for sure. Um, Deloitte is also projecting a 10% increase in e-commerce alone. So it is big advertising time for retailers. What about B2B marketing? And I'm curious what y'all's take is on that. Is there an opportunity there? Or is there just too much noise during that time of year to compete with it? If companies should, what strategies should they incorporate during such a retail heavy period? And just for clarity, when we say B2B, we mean business to business opposed to like normal, like business to consumer. Is that is that the difference we're establishing? 
Correct. Thank you for clarifying for our listeners, Ben. Yeah, no worries. I, I was clarifying just as much for myself. I wanted to make sure I knew which <laughs> B2B we were using. <laughs> yeah, I think there is a lot of, like you said, noise with the to-consumer marketing. And I think if you're doing business to business, you just need to be, I think, focused in what you're doing to cut through that. And more than likely, you're, if you have a business to business company, you, you've got a very specific product more likely or a service. And so you can be more focused in who you are trying to reach. And those businesses are, aren't probably inundated with those consumer marketing uh, sort of campaigns anyway. And so I think you can, you can reach them at, at this time of year um, just as well. Yeah, I'll piggyback off of that. I think that campaign strategy always needs to be well thought out and tailored and targeted. I think that that's just 2x during the holiday season because there is so much noise. So to Sean's point, it's not impossible to reach those people. But I do think that they are more discerning, whether it's a business owner or, you know, anyone involved in a business as a person, they're getting all of the retail emails and they're seeing all of the emails and the social media ads and it can be a little cluttered. So for the B2B to really stick out, I think that the targeting super important and making the campaign kind of as niche and polished as possible is even more important during this time than normal. And what about uh, staying the course with your organic presence? Keep it up, drop off during this time of year. It's probably the same as any point in your year. Being consistent with what you're doing, regardless, is important. You can piggyback on the holiday spirit and and try to turn that into your favor. Uh, I think that's definitely a a smart move, but you don't have to overdo it, I don't think, or try to drop off because you feel like there's too much noise. I read something interesting that was a take on, you know, just like retail shoppers are looking for deals, you're client, you know, other client businesses might be. And so as a business, you can offer discounts to existing clients or try to get new ones during that time of year as well. How about you all? How do you all like to be marketed to during the holidays? Do you pay attention to that? Do you tune it out? Do you have any pet peeves? Do's, don'ts? I do pay attention to it. I think part of that is it's the nature of the job. Being in marketing, I'm just more hyper aware of everything that's out there, all of the content that I'm being inundated with. In terms of pet peeves, I despise clicking on an ad for a specific product and then being taken to the home page of a website. It makes me crazy. You know what product I was interested in. That's why I clicked on your ad. But instead of taking me to that specific product, you took me to the home page. And just out of spite, I won't go find the product because they should have set up their ads better. So that's definitely one for me. But otherwise, merry, cheerful, so happy holiday season. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy a good holiday commercial as much as the next person. I think that's the ones probably I pay attention to the most um, as far as that goes. Those are the ones that catch my attention. I think for me, the ads don't have to be any sort of like particular direction in terms of their messaging, um, but I want them to be tonally consistent. I have like a pet peeve with like the Christmas shoes effect, which is when people want to go really, really sad, uh, like the song Christmas Shoes or the the movie, and then they like try to 
cheer it up like right at the end or like turn it into like it's just for laughs and i'm like that does not work for me i am down for a sappy ad or campaign but i cannot deal with you trying to switch it last second i was like if you're gonna be sad like yeah well we can we can sit there like be sincere don't try to slap a smiley face on it at the end it it drives me bananas sean addy how about you all on tone sappy funny touching where do you all stand I'm I'm firmly in the funny camp. Uh, I do not like overly sappy or touching ads. I feel they are mostly too patronizing. I'm a sucker. I'm just a sucker. Things make me cry. It it is what it is. I am who I am. So I am definitely the audience for those sappy commercials that Sean does not really enjoy. But I fall for it every time. Every time. But in terms of like for a business, I think that any tone can be done well, done correctly, but it has to be consistent with their tone throughout the rest of the year. So if you're silly and zany and funny and really light most of the year and then December comes and to Ben's point, you're Christmas using it, that's not really going to work. That's not very consistent with who you are as a business. So I think as long as there's consistency, I'm ready to listen. We have a new verb. Christmas shoesing it. <laughs> TM. Yeah, I'm trademarking it. We should pause the podcast and go and <laughs> trademark that real quick. Yeah, I think that's the second mm-hmm. trademark or copyright from the podcast already. Yeah. Like we're our streak is really good. We, we, we get our best ideas when we're on the podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, not in the Very shower. Very lucrative endeavor here. <laughs> Very and feasible. All right. Well, in preparation for today's episode, we looked at a handful of ads from last year. And I would say from delightful to downright disturbing, we're going to unpack a handful. And we'll be linking to all of the commercials we're discussing in our show notes. So check that out to watch these for yourselves. MetaQuest 2. This was an ad for impossible gifts that offer a possible experiences and then you realize it's a VR headset it's virtual reality what did you all think of that one I thought it was a really good ad Uh, I think it was well done in its execution Um, I know we're on an audio only format but visually it was really well done like the graphics are really nice it's really well shot and I think the message is really uh perfect for the product it is a virtual reality headset so it is able to present to you these impossible situations that you can feel like you are in uh i know i am like aware that the actual experience of wearing the headset and getting those experience isn't going to be as great as the ad makes it out to be but that's not the point of the ad the ad was to like sell me on how cool this thing could be and it did that I, i think it did it great regardless of if the actual experience is that's that's the product developer's problem no the marketing agency did a great job yeah i agree 100 percent. and i think there's like 
at least within these ads that we were looking at for today, there's like two ways that people went about it, either selling like a really specific product or just like general brand recognition. Remember us during the holidays. And this one did a really good job at selling VR as a concept and saying like, look at all the things we can do with it. There was a little girl in there that uh, wore like an Iron Man costume. And I was like, is there a simulator thing? Like, I want to look into it now. Maybe it was just for the commercial. Maybe there's a game that lets you feel like Iron Man while you're playing VR. I want to play that now. Okay, next up is the Wayfair commercial where Santa is in the kitchen and he is he's getting his jam on while he's cooking. He's got some funky fresh dance moves. So I'll I'll jump in first on this one. This one did not connect with me very much. Um the ad is basically Santa in a contemporary setting. He's not really at the North Pole. His house looks very modern. And even his dress isn't like the classic Santa. He's, he's more of a contemporary looking Santa and he's dancing and then using products as such that are you could buy off a of Wayfair. And it just seems like they're just using the Santa dancing to connect all these different random objects that he's using. And it doesn't it doesn't feel, uh, I think, to Ben's point, quite sincere enough. It feels like they're just using Santa because he's a symbol of Christmas and isn't that great that he's also shopping at Wayfair and it doesn't quite land I think as as well as I would like it to not that it was like terrible but in comparison to you know the first one that we saw the MetaQuest one it just was like oh that's a bit of a miss for me at least I think that the idea was really good but for whatever reason the execution it didn't quite land like Sean keeps saying it's it's so close. It's really close, but I don't think it really hit the way that it was supposed to. I loved that the like Mrs. Claus character at the end like saw him, and for a second you were good, it looked like she was going to be like, "Oh, that's so weird what he's doing." But then she like joins into the dancing. I thought that was nice, and I I thought that was a good end to it. Maybe not as effective commercial, but I, I like that part. I, that's one that I forgot about, and when I was looking for commercials for us to talk about, that one came up, and I was like, oh, right. I remember last year, a lot of people talked about how disturbing they thought that one was. So I think it didn't re resonate with a fair number of people. All right, next up, we have Amazon. They did a commercial. They have an extended cut, which a lot of retailers do. They play for the sap, especially some of the longer releases. And this is about a father whose daughter is overly attached to a snow globe. And he gets this idea to build a person-sized snow globe using the help of Amazon, products on Amazon, and the kindness of various neighbors. And he puts this whole effect in, in a greenhouse for her. What did you all think of that one? That was a, definitely on the more touching side. Yeah, and, and for that, I want Addie to go first. Yeah, I was just about to say, as we've previously discussed, I'm just such a sap, particularly for father-daughter relationships, just right in the heart. So sweet. So I think this could be a terrible commercial. For me, I really enjoyed it because of the sap and the father-daughter relationship. I thought that was really sweet. So... Yeah, whether or not it was effective for Amazon, I can't say. Did I enjoy watching the commercial? Yes, yes, I did. 
Actually, on that note, I do think that it could have been more Amazon branded. The story was really telling and the story stuck with me. But after I watched it, like 30 seconds after, I was like, oh, wait, which one was that for? So that could be kind of a swing and a miss. I thought it was a lovely short film that barely had anything to do with Amazon. And it was so funny, too, because Julie was right. It's about the kindness of neighbors and them lending them stuff they already owned. There was one Amazon box in the whole commercial. And I was like, great short film. Uh, Whoever directed it, good on you. Uh, Doesn't make me care about Amazon at all. It just makes me want to call my dad. (laughs) Yeah, as as a father with a daughter, two of them, in fact, they... Story is is really nice and touching, and the long version is even yeah even worse on the sap because um, they just really drag it out just how or better depending <laughs> on your perspective. Good point. Yeah, it Good was point. better for me. Yeah, they they just really drag that drag that out, and so that the the ending really hits home. Um, the thirty second is much better for me because it, it's able to cut back and get to the efficiency of the ad and. To Ben's point, when I watched the long cut, he buys one thing off of Amazon and then borrows a bunch of stuff from his neighbors, which is, yeah, a terrible ad for Amazon. (laughs) Um, But the 30 second cuts out all that out. So you just get that he bought the one product. But again, he only bought one thing off of Amazon. I, I don't understand why he didn't purchase more things to show like that's what you do and how that connects to the business. Um, Yeah, it was sort of baffling in that way. Maybe all the neighbors bought their things from Amazon as well. So maybe without Amazon, the whole thing would have fallen apart. That's so right. generous. And that was implied. <laughs> that was implied. The yeah. audience should have known. Oh, man. The audience should have known is what we say after every <laughs> campaign we do. <laughs> Why yeah. do good marketing when you can just say the audience should have known? <laughs> Let's switch gears entirely to a more classic style commercial and that is the bubbly ad from last year uh, with Michael Buble singing a carol so it's for those of you not familiar it takes uh, red and green cans Christmas color animates them to this Christmas carol very simple concept what did we think did it fall flat (laughs) see what I did there uh or did it rise to the occasion? I mean, it just, it reminded me a lot about the classic Hershey commercial with the kisses, the Hershey kisses acting as bells. Um, so in that way, it felt really familiar. I don't know if it tread new ground, but it, it, at least I knew what the product was for. The word bubbly was in literally every shot. And I think just the joke, Michael Buble doing bubbly is just funny to me. So I'm, I'm cool with that, especially because he's kind of a Christmas staple for a lot of people. So that worked for me. I thought it was simple, but, it, you know, effective. Simple, effective, maybe not real memorable, but I think it did its job for the, the purpose that it was. Yeah. Next up, we have Kroger. Uh, similar to the Amazon one, they had a longer form of this particular ad, which is an older gentleman who is making his wife's family recipe. Where's his wife? She's, <laughs> she's not with us anymore. We so it's to, very... T- <laughs> we can't she have did. Me out 
Julia, all are you I one of those was... people who has to, like, you know, that's a thing. Some people, when they give bad news, they have to smile. <laughs> so like, no, my mind was going, dead. <laughs> I was about to go, she did. <laughs> and I was like, you went down the wrong road here. <laughs> I just love where is his wife because there's no answer. I know why. No. Why did I do that? Because I just have an outline here. Oh. Uh, I'll be quiet this time. I won't sorry. burst out okay. laughing, I promise. All right. Uh, it's implied that his wife has died in this. So he is carrying the torch and making this recipe. And of course, he's buying all of the ingredients at Kroger and sharing with the family. Um the shorter one, you lose a lot of that backstory, so you're like, oh, this, this swinging single older guy is like cooking <laughs> for a family. How nice. Yeah. Um, but th- thoughts about that Kroger ad from last year? Again, I'll start. So cheesy. But <laughs> I really loved it. I thought that it was sweet. I know some people took issue with the animation style. Some people found it to be a little like creepy, I guess, last year when it first was launched. I did not have that opinion, but I thought it was very sweet. And I did think that Kroger did a good job of keeping their brand name all the way throughout. Like it's on the ingredients labels. It may even be in the recipe book and the tagline at the end, which said something about making memories. I thought really put a nice exclamation point on the whole thing. The importance of family celebrating the holidays. And of course, a lot of that is done around a table and you can get all of your ingredients at Kroger. So I thought it was a nice match all around. Yeah. As someone who doesn't like sappy ads, I thought the short version of this did a pretty good job. The longer version, again, I think it just, it spends too long being sappy um, where the short version, like it cuts to more of the points. And also I think emphasizes more of his enjoyment in in re-establishing and, and and doing this recipe and the joy that it brings him and all the memories that it brings him, which is very relatable, especially this time of year. So I think it played on all the right bits that feel sincere. It feels sincere to Kroger being like, yeah, there's the grocery store where you're going to get all these ingredients. So like it all makes sense and fits the brand. This one was on the border for me of Christmas choosing it just because, and I think it's because I've, I'm thinking about the ad campaigns in reverse. So in Manhattan, Dylan's is the Kroger store and they have a similar 3D animated cartoony style commercial where everyone is like doing the silliest dances possible as they go and they shop for stuff. So thinking about that at at the same time I was thinking about this one, at least the long version, for me, it was a little like tonally dissonant. That being said, I thought it was very cute and I liked it a lot. Uh, I'm easy like Addy in that way. I'm like, "Ah, I'm a sucker. You got me. Um, You got me. But like, I couldn't help, I couldn't help but think of the silly dancing ones. And so the shorter one actually worked for me in that way better. It felt more consistent. All right. Next up, we have a Home Depot ad that was done in a mockumentary style uh, featuring their store that's located closest to the North Pole out of all the Home Depots. And the, uh, the joke is that all of the employees are protecting any North Pole residents who may be shopping at Home Depot to help protect their identities. Yeah, I thought this one was great. I think they hit the right points of being funny without trying too hard. All the employees they got felt very real. Because it's such good sketch comedy, like it has my attention the whole time. I love the little joke. They have little 
gloves that are on sale uh, and they're like, these are our most popular product. I don't know who buys them. And the other person's like, it's the elves. It's the elves' gloves. And I'm like, come on. That's just so funny. And I remember it's a Home Depot commercial. And I think that's the important part, having the brand name still in there. And it's memorable. The puzzle pieces fit together perfectly. Santa's workshop, Home Depot, those things go together well. And for that reason, it's memorable. And the mockumentary style People have spoken. We love that. We love a mockumentary. We love The Office. We love all of those things. So I think it was really smart. Excellent. Well, amazing show, everyone. Thanks for your thoughts. And before we head out, I've got a gift for all of you. Molly helped me pick them out. That's right. They're Molly jokes. What do snowmen eat for breakfast? Frosted flakes. (laughs) <laughs> I had a I had a thought that it was gonna be frosted something. Frosted mini wheats. <laughs> That'd have been so close, but wrong. Yeah. So close. That's a good one. I like that. I like it too. All right. And then second one. Second and final. How much did Santa pay for his sleigh? Nothing. It was on the house. <laughs> ah, I was I like that. Uh, that might be my favorite joke of the entire podcast so far. I really like that, that pretty joke. Good. Yeah, oh, that's great. Producer work, Molly. Molly, kudos to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Almost Productive. Before we go, we'd like to give a shout out to our producers, Nick and Molly, who work behind the scenes to make this podcast possible. If you'd like to learn more about what we do at New Boston Creative Group, you can reach out to us at newbostoncreative.com. You can also follow us on social media at New Boston Creative on Instagram and New Boston Creative Group on Facebook and LinkedIn. If you liked this episode, please like, follow, subscribe, leave a review, and share the podcast with your friends. And if you didn't like the show, feel free to recommend us to your enemies. Tune in next time for some more office shenanigans, thoughts on trending topics, and marketing-adjacent insights. Until next time, we hope you have a productive day. Podcast Wave. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.